Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 25th to 31st of October, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host, Jean Deville. And to all of our listeners and viewers, a happy Halloween. Before getting into our episode this week, a few special shout outs to our good friends at Spacewatch.Global and GoTikonauts, two excellent sources of space industry news. This week, we are joined by a special guest and we'll bring you updates on a Kwaijo 1A launch, a deal between two commercial launch companies, a debrief on the China Satellite Conference. But first, Jean will bring us some announcements on a Sino-European deep space cooperation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. John, you're over in Europe right now. What's going on with Sino-European space cooperation? So definitely a significant update um, this week. We had ESA's Operation Center in Darmstadt, Germany, announce on Wednesday, the 27th of October, that the Mars Express Orbiter that's in orbit around the Red Planet since 2003 would perform five data communication attempts with China's Zhurong rover also on Mars. And this is a new milestone in China-Europe collaboration around the Tianwen-1 mission with ESA's Deep Space Ground Station Network having previously assisted the Tianwen-1 spacecraft after it was launched from the Wenchang Launch Center in the summer of 2020. Now, of course, there's always some irony when Mars Express performs um, data relay services for another spacecraft because this orbiter was meant to do exactly that, but for its own spacecraft, for its own lander, and that's the Beagle 2. The Beagle 2 is this ill-fated British lander which separated from Mars Express back in 2003. It successfully performed landing, but failed to deploy two of four solar panels, making its communications antenna, and consequently the entire lander inoperative. The interesting point about the relay communication attempts that will be taking place here between Mars Express and the Jurong rover is that they will be blind data transmission attempts. And so according to an ESA blog post over the past week, and I'm quoting them here, um, normally when an orbiter flies over a rover, it sends down a hello sign known as a hail signal to initiate communications. And the rover then sends back a response to let the orbiter know that it received the hail and that the exchange of data or commands can begin, end of quote. Now, this normal communications process cannot take place between Jurong and Mars Express because while uh, Mars Express is able to receive the frequency sent from Jurong, it's not true the other way around. And this is why the Mars Express radio system will perform a blind radio transmission. And what this means basically is as, as Mars Express flies over the rover, it will listen to any signals incoming. And if there are any incoming signals, it will lock onto it, it will record it, and it will transfer it to the Darmstadt Operation Center of ESA in Germany. And then that will be then passed on to the Jurong team um, in China. And so the data transfer speeds for this blind transmission attempts will start at 8 kilobits per second and will gradually increase to 128 kilobits per second as the attempts move forward. And this is not bad. It can be compared to the 30 to 40 kilobits per second of transmission speeds between the Tianwen-1 orbiter and the Jurong rover. But it's nevertheless also significantly lower than what you have for example, compared to Perseverance when it communicates with NASA's orbiters, which are, uh, for example, the uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, as well as MAVEN, I believe those orbiters and Perseverance are able to implement data transfer speeds that are 10 to 20 times higher. 
According to the same ESA blog post from this week, this technique, this blind data transmission technique is not something that's entirely new, but it's never been experimented around any other planetary body other than the Earth. And so this is where uh, you have some novelty in this experiment between ESA and China. This is also why the Jurong team, as well as the um, well, the teams that made the um, the radio systems of uh, Mars Express, which is a British company called Kinetic, uh, these two teams have been working to, together to test this transmission beforehand uh, on Earth, so in Europe and in China, before actually doing um, this test, uh, you know, in, in Martian orbit. And finally, this blog post from ESA this week also announced when these uh, data transmissions would take place. We have November the 7th, 16th, 18th, 20th, and 22nd for these tests. So five tests in total, as mentioned just now. So yeah, definitely a very fruitful week in ESA-China collaboration. So there's this uh, data transmission attempt, but there's also another interesting piece of news that came this time from Moscow. We had the head of ESA's Moscow office, Rene Pichel, tell the Russian news agency that ESA was considering taking part in the Russian-Chinese-led lunar ILRS project, ILRS standing for International Lunar Research Station. And this is not entirely news because we've heard in the past ESA officials mentioned that they were interested by the ILRS. But I believe this is the first time since uh, the announcement of Russia and China in June 2021 collaborating over this project because before that date, basically the ILRS was more or less just the Chinese project. So I think this is really, it's an interesting development because we could see Europe being present on both fronts taking part in the ILRS led by Russia and China, but at the same time being a very significant partner for NASA uh, for the US-led Artemis program. I think that's really a very refreshing thought, especially after the, the week or two of very tough rhetoric that we've been hearing between the US and China in the context of the China FOBs HGV um, missile test. So FOBs being the fractional orbital bombardment system and HGV meaning hypersonic uh, glide vehicles. So, um, so yeah, some interesting uh, Europe-China stuff. Blaine, do you want to any thoughts on that uh, before moving to to X space? Uh, just a word of encouragement that if you've not done so already, I would recommend you check out our Dongfang Hour from last week on FOBs and HGV. If for no other reason than the fact that uh, I went to a fair amount of effort to learn a lot more than I ever thought I would need to know about intercontinental ballistic missiles, and that's kind of a random and bizarre topic. So anyway, just a short plug for that. Going into our second news story of the week, we have the successful launch of a Kuizhou. 1A rocket by Kasich subsidiary X-Space, which occurred from the Jiuquan Launch Center on the 27th of October, Wednesday, carrying the Jilin-1 Gaofan 02F satellite, also known as Changshu-1. And so quite a bit to unpack from this launch. So the first point is that this is the second consecutive successful launch by X-Space of the Kuizhou 1A rocket, this coming around one year after the company suffered a launch failure in the 10th attempt of this small, solid-fueled rocket. And so we now have a total of the 12 attempts of which 11 have been successful. Uh, sorry, yeah, 12 attempts of which 11 have been successful. And we've seen now, um, over the last couple of years, X-Space having built out a rocket manufacturing facility in Wuhan, in the Wuhan National Aerospace Industrial Base, which now has a capacity of probably a couple dozen rockets per year. And so this second successful launch inside of about one month by X-Base, it may be an indication that they're getting kind of back into the swing of things and we may start to see um, you know, a more regular launch cadence from, from X-Base. So moving on to the payload, um, again, the main payload was the Jilin-01 Galfun-02F satellite that will be operated by Chinese Earth Observation Satellite Manufacturer and Operator Changwang, a Charming Globe Satellite Technology Limited or CGSTL uh, in collaboration with a company called Space Hawk, although the 
translation of the Chinese name is a little bit tricky. I don't actually have the, the Chinese name written here, but Spacehawk, which is a uh, it's a commercial subsidiary of the Third Academy of Kasik. Uh, and then also the third collaborator on the satellite is the city of Changshu in Jiangsu province. Um, and so the satellite is the 31st satellite in the Jilin-01 constellation of CGSTL. And the optical Earth observation satellite can capture full color images with a resolution better than 0.75 meters and multispectral images uh, with a resolution of better than three meters and a swath of 40 kilometers. And so the satellite is going to use, among other things, a ground station that's located in Changshu City as part of this collaboration with Changshu. And we'll get a little bit more into that in, in just a minute. Um, and as we mentioned before, um, CGSTL is now most probably China's leading commercial Earth observation satellite manufacturer and operator. Um, and it's really just a fascinating example of a, a collaboration between a company and the city government and the Chinese Academy of Sciences um, and also private investors. Uh, and so just a couple of additional points about this launch. So I would mention that CGSTL is really a longtime customer of XSpace as a launch service provider. And so the most famous example of this would be about a year and a half ago when CGSTL purchased a launch from XSpace in a live online auction, uh, which got about 500 million views. So it was really a big viral hit. And indeed, this was the seventh CGSTL launch on a Kuaizhou rocket, uh, with two of them having failed. And there was a pretty interesting photo being passed around the, the Chinese internet um, of six different Jilin uh, 01 satellites. And uh, four of them were in color, and two of them were black and white. And the two that were black and white were the two that had failed on a Kuaizhou 1A and a Kuaizhou 11 rocket, respectively. So um, definitely a, a pretty long and interesting collaboration between these two companies. And, and I think it's an interesting example of two companies that are very... Um, commercial subsidiaries of entities that have a lot of power. In the case of CGSTL, the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and in the case of XSpace, it is uh, Kasig. And so looking at CGSTL, you've seen you know funding coming from the Jilin provincial government. You've also seen funding coming from the Changchun city government and the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And they raised around 2.4 billion RMB at the end of last year in what they call a pre-IPO money funding round. And they've used this money and this support to build what they would describe as Asia's largest Earth observation satellite R&D and manufacturing industrial base, which is now capable of producing a couple dozen Earth observation satellites per year. Uh, and they have ambitions to launch more than 100 Earth observation satellites over the next handful of years. So again, looking at the first company in this collaboration, CGSTL, quite a lot of support from a couple of different stakeholders, um, and then also just quite a lot of innovation going on within the company. And then looking at the second company in this collaboration, XSpace, the launch company in this case, um, they've received quite a lot of support from, among others, um, the Hubei provincial government and also the Wuhan city government uh, and also Kasik via its subsidiary Sanjiang Group. And this has included like 1.2 billion RMB of funding around the end of 2017. And the company has since taken this money and built the aforementioned um, sort of intelligent rocket manufacturing facility within the Wuhan Aerospace Industrial Base this capable of manufacturing a couple dozen rockets per year in what they would call batch manufacturing. So yeah, I guess just um, wrapping up, I think, you know, CGSTL is really, um, it's a major customer of XSpace and these two companies just have a lot of similar characteristics in terms of the support that they're receiving from different stakeholders. And moving forward, you know, a lot of CASC's missions are already spoken for in terms of their, their launches. They, you know, they're doing dozens of launches per year, um, but they're mostly spoken for by these national level missions. And so the reliability of the Kuaizhou is going to be a pretty important factor in the deployment of constellations uh, like CGSTL. And again, talking about CGSTL being a major customer of XSpace and having launched seven times with XSpace, uh, we don't have an exact number for how you know, large of a customer they are, but we know that the online auction at which they bought a rocket, um, the rocket sold for 
uh, 40 million RMB, so around six and a half, seven million US dollars. Um, so when we consider they've done seven launches with XBase, we can assume that CGSTL is, is quite an important customer indeed. Um, so just getting back to a couple of last points about the launch itself um, and, and the satellite um, that was launched, the Jilin uh, 01 Galfun 02F. Um, so separate to the primary mission as being part of the Jilin constellation, the satellite is also going to play a role in Kasich's uh, Hangtian Xingyun, uh, or Sat Cloud project. And this is not to be confused with a very, very similarly named uh, Kasich project of Hangtian Xing, uh, Xingyun, uh, which is a, a narrowband uh, IoT constellation, but literally the same exact pinyin, except that the <laughs> Xing is a different tone. Um, so the Sat Cloud project, it aims to create what they call a, uh, what Kasich calls a satellite resources shared service cloud platform. So make of that what you will. Uh, and while the nature of this collaboration is not entirely clear, we do also see, again, this involvement of Changshu City, where the city is building a um, satellite application collaborative innovation center, and you will have the satellite that presumably is generating data, and they will then be developing applications with that data. And so again, pretty scarce on details, but it does seem like Kasich has a commercial subsidiary in Changshu that is focused on satellite applications, and that it's going to be collaborating with CGSTL and and uh, and the city of Changshu. And um, just a last point on this, you know, Changshu, it's noteworthy, is part of uh, Suzhou City, uh, which is part of the Yangtze River Delta. And this region is is part of a very you know fast expanding commercial space cluster. Um, so other companies in the area, you have Tianbing Aerospace Launch Company, uh, also known as Space Pioneer, that's also in Suzhou, but over in the Jiangjiagong area. Uh, and then you also have Deep Blue Aerospace and Galaxy Space just across the river. Not sure which river, but it may be the Yangtze um, in uh, in Nantong. And just the very, very last point about this launch. With this launch, China has surpassed 40 launches for the year, which is a new record for uh, for the country. And moving forward, we still have a handful of launches left this year. And before handing it over to Sean for our next story, we're going to get a little bit of additional insight from friend of the podcast and CEO of Ultimate Blue Nebula. That is a space consulting firm, not a rock band. Mr. Lan Tianyi, for his thoughts on what this 40 launch milestone means and what we should expect in the coming couple of years in terms of China's launch cadence. Tianyi, your thoughts? For the launches, I think we should see if there are more satellites need the capacity from more launches. This is always the topic we we, we, we see about the market of the launch vehicles. So we, we could see. I think now is a good thing to happen in the satellite side. And in Zhuhai Airshow, we, we could see there are more and more companies that signed the agreement with uh, CTWSC to launch more satellites in the next maybe two or three years. So, um, so it's because only CWSC or we, we see the CALT could, could provide the very stable launch opportunities to all the conference. But maybe next year or, or next two years, if there are more companies like uh, Landspace or Space, they could provide the, the real capacity to, to the satellite the manufacturer and operators, I think there will be more launches happen in in, in, in another side, which we said the private side. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So really fascinating feedback from Tinny on the number of launches and the potential of that to increase or not in the coming years. And just to move on to our next piece of news, which is also on the topic of launch, one of the newest commercial launch companies in China called RocketPie, founded in December 2020, inked on October the 29th, a purchase order for rocket engines from a commercial rocket engine manufacturer called Jiuzhou Yunjian or JZYJ. And the purchase was said to be in the order of magnitude of several 
uh, tens of millions of RMB. So that's roughly a couple million US dollars. And this will probably cover, you know, the first batch of engines that will be used by RocketPie to perform tests on its rocket prototypes. RocketPie, as mentioned, was founded in December 2020. It's definitely a latecomer to the landscape of Chinese commercial launch because you have at least a dozen other uh, commercial launch companies that were founded before RocketPie and that are fairly advanced. A few examples that we can give are Landspace, iSpace and Galactic Energy, and more recently, Deep Blue Aerospace, Caspace, and Space Pioneer. RocketPie, on the other hand, is really in the early stages of the R&D phase of their Darwin 1 rocket, which is a rocket that has a diameter of 2.25 meters. It's a two-stage launch vehicle that will be able to put 270 kilograms into low Earth orbit and 150 kilograms in sun-synchronous orbit. And almost unsurprisingly, as we can see here, the solution that RocketPie has gone for to sort of make up for its late start compared to its competitors is to buy its rocket engines off the shelf. And this this sort of makes sense because we know that it saves a lot of development time. Developing a rocket engine is definitely not an easy task. And when you look at all the, the aforementioned more advanced companies uh, like Landspace or iSpace, these guys have been developing their engines for quite some time now. You know, the Jutria, the Jiaodian, the Changcheng for respectively Landspace, iSpace, and Galactic Energy. Of course, the advantage when you're developing your own engine is that you have really an engine that's uh, tailored for your rocket. And so I guess that gives you a lot more flexibility when you're designing your rocket. But, you know, it's it's really a trade off here. And according to a WeChat post by Jojo Ingen, the first stage of the RocketPie Darwin 1 rocket would be using Jojo Ingen's heavier thrust Longin engine, so an engine that's producing 70 tons of thrust at sea level. And the second stage of the Darwin 1 would be using the vacuum optimized Lingen engine at 12.5 tons of thrust. Overall, I think that buying rocket engines off the shelf could be an increasing trend for these later generation of uh, commercial launch companies in China. And I think also something that's participating in this trend is the fact that you have more and more other companies, providers that are focusing specifically on making rocket engines. So, you know, the guys making the actual rockets, they have, a, you know, a better and better furnished catalog to choose rocket parts from. And so we mentioned Jojo and Gen just now, but you also have four other companies that come to mind, like Aerospace Propulsion, AA Engine, you have Changing Space, and you also have XAPT. And so, again, this gives a wide variety of choice. You can choose low thrust, medium thrust engines. You can you can choose Carolox or you can choose Methlox. You can choose various um, attitude control technologies. There's really uh, quite a bit of choice. Although I, I have to add here that not all of these systems are currently available. Some of them are still in the R&D phase. And so a quick recap of who is buying what from who. So we have, so RocketPie is buying engines from Jojo and Jen. We've already uh, described that a fair bit. We have Caspace that's also buying engines from a sort of a Cas, a sister company called XAPT. We had Linkspace that had signed a, a collaboration with Jojo and Jen in 2019 to use the Lingen engine for their uh, RLVT6 vertical takeoff, vertical landing prototype. Although we haven't heard much about that in the last two to three years. And, uh, and so those are for the collaborations that are known. And I expect that we could see new gen companies such as 
enter space, space tie, or O space, also follow the example of Rocket Pie in outsourcing their engines. I also think that there's another group of rocket manufacturers that could be interested in this. It's the older generation commercial launch companies, but that only focused on solid field rockets and are thinking of diversifying into liquid field rockets. And really an example that comes to mind is One Space, which was a solid field pure player. And over the past year, we've heard them talking about diversifying into liquid field rockets. And that's exactly what their Ling Long uh, series of rockets is about. So I'm sure that these guys would also be looking very closely at what is being proposed by these um, rocket engine manufacturers in China. So really some cool stuff happening in launch, a lot of new generation launch companies in China. And we also last a uh, friend of the Dongfang Hour, Lan Tianyi, what he thought on the emergence of these new rocket companies that are barely maybe two or three years old. And so you can listen to that for yourself. Here's another extract of our fascinating discussion with Tianyi. Yeah, I, I think this is about what we think about the market. If you are doing uh, a launch vehicle companies, you should think about that. If there are more bigger companies here and why you can get the new uh, customers. I think it's because the more and more companies, uh, more and more people, maybe only the people, they come into this industry and they think that China will have more and more satellites to be in the orbit. So this is the, the final thing for them to choose this as a uh, direction. So I think this is the, the only thing uh, because only like they uh, believe there is a, a bigger opportunity for the China space industry and uh, they could choose this as a direction to, to, to follow. Yeah, really interesting comments from, uh, and thank you again, Tianyi, for, uh, for joining us. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, uh, it, it's an interesting example, I think, this collaboration between Rocket Pi and Jojo Yunjian of just sort of this level of industrialization and, and modularity to a certain extent, this ability to, uh, to Jean's earlier point, you know, select from a, a, a variety of different uh, rocket engine manufacturing companies. Um, going to be really fascinating to see how that plays out uh, in the Chinese context, given the the size and complexity of the industrial base more more generally. Um, and just the last point to add about Rocket Pi and Jiu Yunjian, this is uh, just another example of collaboration between companies that are located in the Yangtze River Delta, uh, with Jiu Yunjian having um, a significant presence in, in Bangbu in uh, Anhui province, just up the river and a bit to the west, so maybe not quite in the, the Yangtze River Delta, depending on one's definition. Um, and of course, Rocket Pi being headquartered in uh, in Huzhou over in uh, in Zhejiang, the, the same city where uh, where Landspace has has quite some operations as well. Uh, so moving on to our last update of the week, we have the China Satellite Conference, which took place in Beijing uh, during the 27th to 29th of October, over at the New Century Nico Hotel, which has um, been hosting the event on and off since 1999. And so the China Satellite Conference, it is one of the oldest space conferences in China, again, having been taking place every October, more or less, since 1999. It has, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's noteworthy for being relatively more commercial in nature in the sense that most large Chinese space conferences, um, they would have some large SOE or provincial government or some institution uh, that is the kind of core sponsor, whereas China Satellite, it's more put together by a, a company and it's a bit more just commercial in nature. Um, it's been one of the relatively more international conferences over the last you know, couple of decades, um, initially primarily looking at SATCOM, but then this year and I guess the last several years more generally, we've seen more uh, sort of upstream industrial companies. So that would be kind of the satellite manufacturers and launch companies. And this definitely makes sense in the sense that we've seen that part of the industry open up to more commercialization, whereas, you know, things like satellite applications and, you know, 
SATCOM VSAT terminals. Um, these were pretty commercialized, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and so we're going to have a little bit more of a deep dive episode into the China Satellite Conference, uh, both this year and in years past with uh, with friend of the podcast, Lan Tianyi. But uh, again, just a very brief kind of overview of this year's um, conference. We, we did see attendance from uh, China SatNet, the, um, the, the low Earth orbit constellation uh, operator. And again, one of the main topics was low Earth orbit constellation. So definitely one of the, the big trends in China today. Uh, so, Sean, anything else to add from your side on the China Satellite Conference? I know we're getting a bit long here, and we do have another episode on that conference. So, um, I think yeah. I'm all good for this week. Great. In that case, this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 25th to 31st of October, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host, Jean Deville, wishing you a happy Halloween and sending a special thanks to our friend Lan Tianyi for his thoughts on today's episode. We will see you next week. Thank you very much for watching. See you next week.